Thank you, Liz. Good morning, Calvary. It is good to be here after all these years. And it's exciting for me to see this church because I've heard stories about your heritage of missions, and it's good to be here this week and see the folks behind that heritage. So, we have a story to tell to the nations. It's God's story, it is the true story, and it is a powerful story because it can transform individual lives and it can lift communities out of poverty and it can build nations, nations that are free and not enslaved, nations that are just and not corrupt, nations that are compassionate and not cruel, and nations that flourish and are not impoverished. This book is not simply a devotional book, though it is that. This is the owner's manual. This book helps us to understand why we're here, who God is, who we are. It is the owner's manual. The book begins in Genesis, and it ends in Revelation. The opening line of our narrative is this, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, every nation has a story, every culture has a story, and all the stories have beginnings, but not all stories have the same beginning, and not all stories are the same. We live in the United States of America. Our story begins this way In the beginning, nature. Now, who made that story popular? Charles Darwin. We grew up in a nation with that as the story. doesn't matter when you became a Christian, how long you've been going to church, all the public media, Education, whether it's secondary school, college, graduate school, it's all informed by the naturalistic story of Charles Darwin. And that creates a very different framework for life than in the beginning, God. The Bible began in a garden the Garden of Eden. And it ends in a city, the city of God, the New Jerusalem. The narrative began with a first couple in a wedding, Adam and Eve. And it ends with a couple and a wedding. 
Christ, at the end of history, is coming back to get married. Hallelujah. And he's coming back to marry his bride, the church. Who's that? We are his bride. So the Bible is a powerful book. Its story, its message can transform individual lives. It can quite literally lift communities out of poverty, and it has the power to build nations. I'd like us to assume, for the sake of uh, this message this morning, I want to use an illustration and say that this book represents the Bible. And let's say that this book has 12 chapters. Again, this is arbitrary. It could be 10. It could be 15. But for the sake of the illustration, we'll say it has 12 chapters. Chapter 1 would be called the creation. And in this chapter, God created the universe out of nothing. And he created by speaking. He spoke the universe into existence. Words are powerful. God spoke words and created the universe. He made us speakers. He made us to speak, to use words. And through our language and our speaking, we form what God has made. We create culture. So God's speaking created the universe. Our speaking creates culture. And God put the man and the woman on this planet, and he gave them the creation commission. Now, we know of the Great Commission, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but this is the creation commission. He gave Adam and Eve this mission. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, form families, have children. And this is a critical message in today's world because people are not forming families and they're not having children. Form families, have children. Children who are not mouths to be fed, simply mouths to be fed, but children who bear the image of God and are secondary creators with God, the primary creator. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and then have dominion over creation. We are here as God's vice regents to steward creation, to govern creation. Some of you here govern words. You write. Some of you probably govern wood. You're carpenters. Some of you govern music. We are here to govern and to make bountiful what God has given us. Another way to say it is when God finished his work of creation, it was perfect, but it wasn't complete. 
Who is to complete it? We are. We are his image bearers. And he put us here to take what he has made and to do something with it. Some of you here may be painters. And do you realize that when you paint a painting, you paint something that no human eye has ever seen before? How can this be? Because you're made in the image of God. Some of you might like to write music. Do you realize when you write music, you can write a piece of music that no human ear has ever heard before? How can you do this? Because you're made in the image of God. So God put us here. He said, don't just eat from the garden, but expand the garden. Create vineyards and orchards. Create music and art. Create symphonies. Create dance. Create beautiful fabrics. Discover what I have laid hidden in the ground. And then make something of it. My brothers and sisters, this is the cultural commission or the creation commission, and it's why we are here. Chapter 2 of the book would be called The Rebellion because the man and the woman rebelled against God. And when they rebelled against God, death entered the world and evil entered the world. Death entered the world. When we rebelled against God, we died spiritually, and following that, we died physically. And this is why Jesus says you must be born again. Evil entered the world, moral evil, and we're all aware of that. There's murder. There's stealing. There's adultery. This is personal moral evil. But not just moral evil, there's natural evil. There's going to be pain in childbirth and weeds in the garden. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be typhoons. There's going to be droughts. There'll be floods. There'll be famine. This is natural evil. And there will be institutional evil where nations take a lie and institutionalize that lie. We have done that in the United States at our country's founding. We took the lie that whites are superior to blacks and we institutionalized that into slavery. It's a blot on our nation's history. Many cultures of the world believe a lie and act on that lie that men are superior to women. And when that lie is institutionalized, you see all the horrible things that happen to women around the world today. So God expects his people to fight against, stand against evil in all its forms. This is part of our calling. When he calls, calls us to be saved, when he calls us to the cross, Coming out of our salvation, we are to be the people who stand against the evil in the world and stand for the good and the glory of God. Now we come to chapters 3 through 9 of the book. These chapters are called the mission because God himself is on a mission. 
Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God has a love for nations. Over 2,000 times from Genesis to Revelation, we find the word nations. God loves individuals. We know that. But he not only loves individuals, he loves nations. And he raised up Abraham because he wants all nations, not a few nations, not some nations. He wants all nations to be blessed. Does that mean North Korea? Yes. God wants to bless North Korea. And thank God for this church and those who you support who are being a blessing to North Korea at this most desperate hour of that nation's history. God wants to bless all nations. And that's why he raised up Abraham. He raised up Moses and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And he gave the Ten Commandments for a personal purpose and a public purpose. He gave the Ten Commandments so that you and I could know what a godly life looks like. What it means to live a moral life. But it's not just for a personal purpose. He gave the Ten Commandments for a public purpose. As you travel around the world, wherever you go, you see corruption, injustice, and people around the world are longing for justice. But just nations do not fall from heaven. Just nations are built. And they need a foundation, and the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is the moral foundation upon which just societies are built. So God is working in history. He worked through Abraham, he worked through Moses, he worked through the prophets, worked through the apostles, and he's working in history today, or you wouldn't be here. He's the God of history. Now we come to chapter 10 of the book. And this chapter is called the cross. Because in this chapter, the high king of heaven sent his only son to earth to die for the rebellious race. Now let me say that again. The high king of heaven sent his only son to earth to die. What kind of a God would do such a thing? This is actually backwards. If you look at the pagan gods, the pagan gods always demand that parents sacrifice their children to the gods. 
This was what Molech demanded in the Old Testament. We have a pagan god in this country. The name of the god is Convenience. And we sacrifice over a million babies a year to the god of convenience. It's not convenient for me to have this baby. So we bow our knees before the God of convenience. It'll interrupt my education. It'll interrupt my career. It'll interrupt my plans. It is not convenient. The pagan gods demand the sacrifice of human children. But what does the God of the Bible do? He sacrificed his only son for pagans. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of a God is this? What kind of love is this that God would do such a thing? And Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life in your name because God demands perfection Jesus lived a perfect life in your name, and then he died on the cross for my sins and your sins. And then they put his body in a tomb. Is that the end of chapter 10? No, thank you. It's not. If it were the end of the chapter, it would be the end of the book. And we would be without hope. But at the end of the chapter, something happens that never happened before. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And in that moment, all of history was transformed. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death had always been victorious. If you died, you were dead. Christ's conquering death made a future for those of us who live in the shadow of death. We no longer need to live in the fear of death. In Christ's resurrection, death died. The early church understood this in a more powerful way than I think we do. We have our Easter celebration, and it's a wonderful time of celebration. But the early church understood the implications of the resurrection, I think, more significantly than we do. In the second and third century, massive epidemics swept through Europe. Hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. Rome was cruel. The culture of Rome saw virtue in cruelty. They saw compassion as a vice. So when a Roman uh, had somebody in their household become sick from the plague, they'd throw them out on the streets because that, you didn't show compassion to your family members. That would show weakness. But there was a group of new kind of people They were the followers of Jesus Christ, and they knew the God of compassion, 
and therefore they were people of compassion. In fact, they were the laughingstocks of the Romans because Christians were seen as weak because they were compassionate. But they didn't care what society thought of them. They knew who God was, they knew his character, and they manifested his character through their lives. And they took their pagan neighbors into their homes and ministered to them, loved them, cared for them while they were dying of the plague. And you know, many of those pagans, simply because of the compassion of the Christians, survived the plague. And many of those who survived the plague became Christians. And many of the Christians who were taking care of their pagan neighbors caught the plague from their neighbors and they died. How could they do this? Because they did not live in the fear of death. And they understood the resurrection. This is chapter 10 of the book. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Chapter 11 of the book is the mission. The great commission. Turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Christ conquered death, and he told his disciples to meet him in Galilee because he had an announcement to make and a mission to give. And we open up this, this text and we see first the announcement. This is Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is announcing to his disciples and to his church today that he is king of heaven and he is king of earth. All authority in heaven and where? On earth belongs to Jesus Christ. Most of the church globally today thinks that Jesus is king of heaven, but he won't be king of earth until he comes back. But what does Jesus say? All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Remember before he died, the disciples asked Jesus to teach him, teach them to pray. And he said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, how will it be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. How? As it is in heaven. I had the privilege a number of years ago of being in the Central Asian country of Kyrgyzstan. It was a Muslim country uh, under the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union collapsed. But there was a small church in Kyrgyzstan, and I had the privilege of spending a week with about 130 Kyrgyz pastors. It was a Wednesday afternoon, and we were worshiping together, 
And when they came to the chorus of this particular hymn, there was electricity in the air. I have not been in many worship services where there was electricity in the air, but this was one of them. I didn't speak Russian, so I had no idea what they were singing. But I turned to my translator and I said, what are they singing when they sing the chorus of this hymn? And he said, they're singing, Emmanuel is coming to Kyrgyzstan. Emmanuel is coming to Kyrgyzstan. All authority in heaven and in Kyrgyzstan belongs to Jesus Christ. And these pastors understood that Emmanuel was coming. Now, my brothers and sisters, all authority in heaven and in the United States belongs to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus makes this profound announcement, and then he turns to the disciples, and we are the descendants of those disciples. If you are in Christ, you are a descendant of these disciples. And he turns and he says, Therefore... Because all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me, therefore, go. And now we have the great commission. Go and do what? Make disciples of all nations. Now, unfortunately, and we don't have time to go into this today, we have reduced the great commission of discipling nations to the Greek commission of saving souls for heaven. If you ask the average pastor, the average church leader, what's the great commission, they'll say to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and save souls for heaven. And I'll say, look at the text. And they'll read it and they'll say, what is the great commission? And they'll say, go into all the world, make disciples, plant churches, that's it. And I said, no, what what do the words say? Make disciples of what? All nations. And we cannot even see the words on the page. We no longer have the great commission of discipling nations. We have the Greek commission of saving souls for heaven. And we've done that very well. There's never been more churches in the world than there are today. There's never been more Christians in the world than there are today. And never more megachurches than there are today. So we know how to preach the gospel and save souls and plant churches. What we haven't figured out is how to fulfill the Great Commission. We think if we've saved souls and planted churches, we've done our work. But that's only the beginning. God's heart is to see nations transformed. His heart is to see thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Santa Ana as it is in heaven. And Jesus Christ is essentially saying to his disciples and to you and I, I am king of heaven, and I want to extend my kingdom to earth. And how I'm going to do that? I am going to have an embassy. You know, every nation, every kingdom has an embassy. 
in other countries? Jesus has an embassy. This is an embassy. The church is the embassy of the king. And who are you? You are ambassadors of King Jesus. Now, we're here today on Sunday as a church gathered. But what happens when we go out these, this door? You're still the church. And you're the church on Monday. Do you realize that? The church is not just a Sunday church. The church is a Monday church. Because you are the church. And God is going to have you spread all over this community, all over this city. And in the place that you work and serve, there is your parish. You are an ambassador of Jesus in that place. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me simply say, if the church is not discipling the nation, the nation will disciple the church. If the church is not discipling the nation, the nation will disciple the church. Is the United States becoming more and more like the kingdom of God? Or is the church becoming more and more like our culture? Now we come to the end of the book, chapter 12. It's the return of the king. Turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 21. At the beginning of chapter 21, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says that he saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God. And then we come to verses 23 through 26. And here we see the remarkable ingathering of the nations that is spoken about in the Psalms and spoken about in Isaiah. Here at the end of history, Jesus is coming back to get married. The city of God is here. And now the nations are drawn into the city of God. And we see these words, verse 23. Revelation 21, 23. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Now we see why God wanted Abraham to bring a blessing to the nations. Now we see why Jesus has raised up the church to disciple nations because at the end of history, the kings of the earth are going to bring the glory of their nations into the city of God. The cultural commission of Genesis 1 comes full circle at the end of the story. But we have a problem. And the problem is, at the beginning of the 21st century, we are not telling the whole story. 
What we have done is taken chapter 10 and we've ripped it out of the book and we've thrown the book away. And we've said chapter 10, the Gospels are the whole story. My brothers and sisters, the Gospels are not the whole story. The Bible does not begin with John 3.16. Where does it begin? Genesis 1.1. Can you retrieve my book for me? (laughs) I was actually trying to hit you so you'd catch it, you know. Thank you. We are to be the people of the book again, not just chapter 10. We are to put the Gospels, the precious Gospels, back into the book and tell the whole story. Our country is waiting to hear the whole story, but country after country around the world is waiting to hear the whole story because it is this book that not only can transform individual lives. It can literally lift communities out of poverty, transform communities that are poor into communities that are flourishing. And it can build nations, transform nations that are corrupt into nations that are just. But we need to read the whole story, we need to tell the whole story, and our world is waiting for the transforming story. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are not only the creator of the universe, but you are our Father. We thank you that Jesus did not stay in the grave, but was resurrected, and that he is King of heaven, and that he wants to extend his kingdom here to earth. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that we can see in people's lives and we can see in communities and nations how your word has been used to bring transformation. And Father, I pray for this church. Thank you for their legacy of missions. And Father, I pray that you would continue to use this church and use it, Father, to be your embassy. Use these brothers and sisters here to be your ambassadors in this part of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.